totally okay for me to not be part of a country. But what is not okay to me is that it then limits my access to basic human rights. Hi, I'm Isabel Hugal, and this is Borderline. First of all, a quick message to you listeners. I'm very keen to hear from all of you. Borderline is going through some changes and I need your feedback. Don't hesitate to reach out and let me know what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear or read from Borderline and from me. I'm at Iza at borderlinepod.com and on Twitter a lot as well at iRougal. That's I-R-O-U-G-H-O-L. Now for today's episode. We talk about national identity a lot on here and how we feel about it and whether we have one or several. But imagine if you have none. None that you feel intimately and none on paper. And that's the story of my guest today, Christiana Buccolo. She lives in Munich, Germany. She was born there, but she's not German. Her parents moved there from West Africa. She doesn't say much more than that to protect her privacy, but suffice to say that their country did not grant their daughter citizenship either. Christiana is stateless and has become an advocate for others like her who, she found out to her great surprise, are millions. Christiana Buccalo is the founder of State Free, an upcoming platform seeking to inform and connect stateless people. She was just a democracy fellow at the Alfred Lendecker Foundation. She is wise beyond her 27 years and she is my guest today. Here is my conversation with Christiana Buccalo. Thank you so much for uh, for joining Borderline. I'm, I'm thrilled to be talking to you today. I thought we should start by defining some terms for people to understand quite what we're talking about. So what does it mean to be stateless and, and how many people are we talking about? Yeah, um, so officially the term statelessness is defined as, or let's say stateless people such are defined as people who are not recognized as a citizen by any nation. And that's how it is defined in the UN Convention on Statelessness. And that um, then kind of by default means that they don't have a nationality or no citizenship and um, are therefore without state. Mm-hmm. So not recognized by yes by any nation. Yeah. Um, and so how many people are we talking about? So the, the data topic in the context of statelessness is tough. Um, so there are different estimates. Um, the highest is the one from the Institute on Statelessness and Inclusion. They estimate that there are up to 15 million people worldwide who are stateless. And uh, there have been estimates by the United Nations also um, around 10 million people. The issue is that there are governments that report statelessness and then there are some that don't report numbers. And then again, also definition, although I now shared the official definition, the way that this definition is interpreted can sometimes vary according to the um, individual government. Mm. What, what do you mean by that? It sounds pretty straightforward, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> there are some things uh, in this world that might be or could be straightforward. But then again, um, I think we as human beings, we have a tendency to make things a bit more complicated, maybe with the intention actually of making it easier. Um, so one thing that uh, creates an issue is that there is a difference between being de facto stateless or de jure stateless, which means that um, there are cases in which the state, your statelessness in terms of not having a nationality is not yet legally recognized. 
So in such cases, you might be without nationality and without any documents that might prove any kind of nationality, but you're also not yet in a position in which the government you're living in has actually recognized that you're without a citizenship. And for this issue, there have been different recommendations made, actually, to provide a so-called statelessness determination process, which is extremely important. But then again, um, not too many countries have yet <laughs> implemented that statelessness determination process. And in some cases, so what happens is that people who are not recognized as stateless yet, so de facto stateless, but not de facto, they sometimes end up in this category of being um like having an undetermined nationality or unclear nationality. And sometimes those numbers are not um, counted the same ways or actually not added to the number of people mm. who are recognized as stateless. Right. So that's an even worse status that you're not even like legally recognized as not being legally recognized. Yeah, it's actually, it's very much worse, actually. Yeah. Mm. So let's talk about you a bit. How and when did you come to understand that this status is stateless um, apply to you? It took a while, I'd say. <laughs> so um, today I'm 27 and it's hard actually to like name a clear like point in time. I, I'd say it was a journey. So there, like the older I got, the more I became aware of the fact that something seems to be off and it's not just our asylum status uh, or migratory status. So the fact is that I was born in Germany. My parents came from West Africa to Germany. And then I was born in the country in, in Munich. And um, I was aware of the fact that something was a bit harder for us, uh, especially in points or times in my life in which I got more in contact with other people, like in school, um, where I was actually the only kid or one of the, um, yeah, maybe let's say five kids in my class that had issues with that. Um, and I noticed that something was off also in terms of us having to um, go to the asylum offices very often, having to prove certain things. Also, at some point you start, like you learn how to read. And then I guess that's something that um, a lot of people with migratory contexts are like used to, that they start translating letters for their parents. So at some point I started to understand that there seems to be an issue with us being in this country and that we're often asked to actually leave the country. Um, at that point, I only kind of, I related that to the fact that we are apparently not German. So I did understand that I am born in Germany, but then again, for some reason, I am not considered to be German. And I did understand that, but I didn't really understand what that concept was about because nationality is something that is very abstract. It's something we kind of constructed as human beings. So it's nothing that kind of grows with you. And, and at some point when I tried to administer my life a bit more than I was forced to in the past because my parents took care of the majority of my things. And um, I noticed that whenever I, I wanted to kind of register for things or whenever I wanted to use certain services that people would ask for my nationality. And I knew that I didn't have one. As I am a person for some weird reason, I just also often, it's, well, I don't know if it's weird, but I try not to lie and I have like this right like um I it's commendable <laughs> so I wouldn't just just for the purpose of maybe signing up to a certain course I wouldn't just choose like in this drop down menu menu then you don't often see I wouldn't just choose the German nationality just because I, that's what gives me access to whatever I'm trying to get access to so I then oftentimes just stopped actually 
And um, then there was a personal incident that was actually pretty traumatizing. And this incident then led to me actually researching the topic a bit more. So that's what I meant with journey. So I understood that there was something off. Then I kind of understood that I don't have a nationality, but I didn't understand that there are so many people affected. And the more you try to get ahead in life, you understand that this is like a constant barrier uh, that is represented to you almost on a daily basis, actually. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned drop-down menus. You wouldn't even think of that, yeah. but right? There's so many drop-down menus where you ask to input your nationality yes. in for like the silliest things. Yes. There's rarely a stateless option in there, is there? Um, so I have to say one uh, saw a stateless option that was when I tried to travel somewhere and I don't remember where, so it was not the um, incident I was referring to, which I can go mm -hmm. a bit more into detail. As yeah, we'll talk about it in a yeah. minute. Um, but it was something else. And I'm, I don't even remember the airline, but they had the option of stateless in it. And that was surprising to me. And I tried it, um, selected it. And then when then <laughs> trying to board the plane, there was this issue because apparently the people working for the airline didn't understand what that option actually meant so what happened mm. what, ended up, what ended up happening is that the plane waited for me like i think 30 or 45 minutes even while the people were trying to figure out whether or not i was allowed to now enter the plane which was extremely uncomfortable for me so um i guess the majority of people have made that experience of a plane like departing late <laughs> in that case it was kind of my fault or i was at least um the issue that was trying to be solved so the thing is even in situations in which that option is offered or at least in the past i guess that's already like maybe that was like two or three years ago it then again presents a new issue instead of actually supporting my situation you mentioned you had a, a traumatizing experience that kind of you know, brought it home for you, what it meant to be stateless. Can, can you tell me about, about that? Yeah. Um, so about two and a half years ago, I planned a trip to Morocco. I was going alone um, and also very much looking forward to it because as a person that didn't have a travel document until I turned 18, traveling to me is obviously always a very exciting, but also um, nerve-wracking experience. Um, so I planned the trip and I was actually planning to stay there for two weeks on my own, um, learning a bit more about the country and new cultures and so forth, just what you do whenever you want to travel um, or what you're looking forward to. And prior to the trip, I also tried to understand a bit more in detail how exactly I would be allowed to enter the country. As a stateless person, you don't really take traveling for granted and you understand what kind of obstacles might appear on along the road. So I try to understand whether I'm even allowed to enter the country. And what happened is that I couldn't find any information that was referring to stateless people. And as I had been living in Germany forever and was born here and my document was issued by a German authority, I was pretty sure that, or at least it felt in that moment, it felt... Um, just also rational to compare my situation to or reasonable to compare my situation to the situation of a person that has a German passport. And I then learned that Germans were allowed to enter the country without any additional documents. So I flew to Marrakesh and unfortunately when actually arriving at the airport, I um, learned about the fact that I was not allowed to enter the country. 
which meant that I was actually forced to stay at the airport for various hours, up to 20 hours, actually, until the next flight back to Germany left. And unfortunately, there was not a flight back to Munich, but um, to another German city. Um, and in that moment, so I would say those 20 hours, um, apart from the fact that I actually cried a lot, it was also kind of the first time I really felt this upset about the situation. I have to say that before that, I had the tendency to play it down uh, because just also, I guess that's also something that my parents just made sure that we have a attitude that is more grateful. So I tend to just focus on the things that I have and the opportunities and I have in life instead of focusing on the parts that maybe are not working as well. So that was the first time I really realized how hurtful the situation actually is and how hard it is also for a person to deal with the situation because the only reason why I wasn't allowed into the country was because I didn't have a visa. And the only reason I didn't have a visa is because I didn't know that I would have needed one. So if I would have been able to find the information, I would have, of course, applied for a visa and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have decided to go there without having one. Um, so that was very annoying. And actually on the way back, I started researching, like that's when the probably the 10th or so research journey on the topic of statelessness started. But this time I just uh, stayed a bit more persistent and it took a lot of time actually and a lot of effort. So it took me like one, two, three, four maybe months to really understand the scale of the topic and then also to get in contact with people who knew a bit more about it. Mm. And that's where your project State Free was born? Um, yeah, so I'd say it. <laughs> in this case also was a journey. So I definitely didn't have the idea of creating anything around the topic. Also, I have to say that my mindset back then was I just want to focus on the good things in life and I really don't want my life to evolve around a deficit I am experiencing. So um, my initial intention was actually to find a, I always call it a source of truth because what I was missing was the information. And in that situation, I was just convinced that there needs somebody, like that was just what I was thinking. I was thinking, okay, somebody came up with this. <laughs> somebody came up with statelessness and all of this. So there needs to be a person or an institution that knows all there is to know about the situation. And um, in my imagination back then, I was thinking that this person or this organization maybe doesn't know how to actually distribute the information in a way that it is accessible to everyone who needs it. Um, so I was actually trying to find that organization and then help them to maybe digitalize the information and make it more accessible. Uh, unfortunately, I noticed that there is no source of truth. And what I did notice was that there are different organizations, which was good, but then it, got, it was confusing because I, as a person who was affected, didn't even know about it. And that's when I kind of noticed this gap of communication and felt that instead of just recreating and replicating content that is already available, it would make way more sense to actually have a space in which all of this is collected in a sense by just um, gathering all of the people that have the expertise, expertise in terms of the experience of it, in terms of experiencing statelessness and being stateless, and also expertise in terms of having dealt with it uh, on a in the legal or political context. Because as you mentioned, it's not exactly that someone came up with statelessness. It's like, it's an absence of something, right? It's a, it's a falling in the gaps. Yeah. Can you explain how it can be that your 
born in Germany, but you're not German, and you also don't have the nationality of your parents. Yeah. So one of the main, one of, maybe not the main reason, because I, there's so many, <laughs> uh, there's so many reasons for statelessness. So, um, but one is definitely those conflicting laws and gaps that are then created. So as a person that is born in a country in which you are not able to attain nationality by simply being born there. So that's um, often, it's called Yusuldi. Um, so for example, in the US, uh, you just get the citizenship by being born on the territory in Germany. Um, there is a very light version of that, and that was introduced in 2000. So I was born in, in 1994. Um, so that didn't apply for me, but it wouldn't have applied to me anyways, because there are certain requirements actually um, that my parents didn't met at that time anyways. And um, so in Germany, you inherit nationality from your parents. And if there's no way for you to attain the nationality of your parents, that was the case in my case, um, then you just end up with none. And what also happens is that this is kind of, mm, then I'd say, underscored by um, different obstacles through bureaucracy. So I guess now there's way more knowledge on all of this. But if we look at the administrative side of things in my case for example what happened is that we were categorized as um, undetermined and this is for example a status especially in the context of childhood statelessness in which i as a person kind of suffer under circumstances that i didn't create it because i am like my parents didn't have sufficient documents to prove their identity and then i was born and then a person in the registry simply decided that my status is unclear and this is actually say that is supposed to be temporary. But in my case, that status um, was actually my status until I was 25. So that's actually way too long. And currently, this is something that's very often emphasized also in the, I'd say, sector of statelessness is that it's really important to end childhood statelessness as fast as possible, because at some point, and that's the situation in my case, those children grow up to be adults, and then they're just stateless as adults, and are in the situation which they, like, I'm in, it's called in situ statelessness, so I'm a person that is stateless, although I don't have a, I have maybe migratory context in terms of my parents having migrated to Germany, but I myself wasn't even able to move outside of the country until I turned 18. Right. And and you are not an immigrant. You are a child of immigrant. Yes. Um, for people who, who haven't experienced this, it's, it's hard to kind of wrap your mind around. It sounds like it's hard for people who are experiencing <laughs> it. Um, so you have, you know, you have legal residency and work rights yeah. in in Germany. So this not it's not a situation of, of uh, unauthorized migration or anything like that. It's it's a whole other it's a whole other category. Right. Yeah. So in my case, yes. And I'd say, meanwhile, I have work permits and legal residency. So my residency was always legal in that sense, but there were different um, phases, I'd say. And oftentimes those things are very much intertwined. Um, mm -hmm. There is often this context, but it doesn't need to be. And it also depends on how the status progresses. So in our case, my parents just were extremely determined uh, on finding a way for us, um, by us I mean me and my sisters, to be able to stay in this country and receive the education and so forth. So we focused a lot on this 
part of our um, situation, which means our migratory or actually residents um, in Germany and how we were at some point get a permit. That was the main focus. It was never so much on the topic of nationality. And I guess also because the knowledge of my parents, oftentimes people become stateless before even knowing that something like that exists, right? So um, there are cases in which that is very much intertwined. But in my case, I do have a, a work allowance. I now also have a travel document. The only things that are still complicated for me are, or that's what's complicated is maybe not the right term. It's just not allowed. I can't vote. Um, that's something that is annoying, especially this year, as we had the federal elections in Germany. And um, I simply always have issues whenever I want to register such a thing. So whenever I need to verify my identity, that just poses an issue. Before that, issues were not being able to fly. Um, then I didn't know how to actually um, register to the university I wanted to go to and so forth. So, yeah, it's complex. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and still your family had the educational, financial resources to navigate this which is, i imagine isn't the case of of every stateless person yeah uh, so i have to say i'm extremely surprised at how my parents were actually able to do all of this because um we were definitely not rich and there we had a lot of support so a really great support system of people who were just very keen to make sure that somebody takes care of us and let it be in terms of legal consultancy or other issues. And it is very expensive. <laughs> I myself, I'm now trying to find a new lawyer also to get more um, information on whether or not I would be able to naturalize already, maybe, uh, because that's also an issue that oftentimes lawyers don't have the necessary expertise on the topic. And I have been getting different opinions on my situation right now so i'm searching for a new one and um already have an appointment <laughs> scheduled for next week and just hearing the fee because so far it were always my parents who paid for this and i i had a job i have a job and that, so now i'm able to pay for this but um thinking of other people it's just very hard to grasp how they would be able to deal with all of this on their own we'll be right back Hey, it's Isabel. I'm not going to bug you to support Borderline financially for a while. I mean, you can. I won't say no. It's at borderlinepod.com slash subscribe, and it really helps out. But really, really what Borderline needs right now is a bigger audience, a much bigger audience, a free audience. You can help by sharing the podcast with your friends. Pick just one that you think would enjoy it and send it on and be that friend who helped them discover something that is going to be hopefully meaningful to them. Go ahead, share it, email them, or go to your podcasting app right now, and there should be a share button next to the episode that will help you send it out. And while you're there, you know, five stars, a quick review, that also helps tremendously. This will help me get Borderline to a bigger audience of fellow global citizens and grow our community. Thank you so much. And now let's get back to our episode. You mentioned there are many ways that people can become stateless and, and yours is one which is conflicting legislation at, at the moment of your birth. What are some of the other ways that people become stateless? 
Uh, one very unfortunate case is, for example, or reason, let's call it that, is just nationality laws that discriminate against specific factors, um, which can be gender, ethnicity, and so forth. So there are um, 25 countries who which hinder women from passing nationality on to their children. Um, wow. Then, yeah. And th- those are things that just, because it's just, the things with statelessness, it's also something that is inherited. So in a case in which the mother is not able to pass nationality onto the child and the child maybe doesn't have contact to the father or the father doesn't want to recognize the child as uh, his, there are issues in which that person ends up stateless as a stateless child that some, at some point might become a stateless adult. And um, in those cases... And has stateless children. Yes. So it, yeah. Oftentimes, depending on the nationality law of the country the person is in, oftentimes that um, person would then have stateless children also. So that's that's one way, discrimination yeah. uh, against women, against ethnicities, I guess, as well, that yes. in some countries aren't recognized? Yes, there are some, so there are laws in which your ability to attain citizenship is tied to the different ethnic group you belong to. And so there's one huge case actually in Myanmar, the Rohingya people, they're a Muslim ethnic group and they have been denied their right to citizenship since 1982 uh, just by not listing them as a group on uh, the list that actually lists all of the ethnic groups that would be allowed to attain nationality from Myanmar. And that's a huge case also. Another reason can also be like just historical political context, meaning states or nation states that um, dissolve to some extent or are not recognized also by other countries. So people um, from Palestine often face the issue that they end up stateless when or being categorized as stateless whenever they are in a new country. And then <laughs> again, bureaucracy, sometimes there are cases in which they are recognized as stateless person and then there are cases in which they are not recognized as stateless person. And oftentimes there's a, a huge level of arbitrariness uh, which even makes it harder to solve the issue. Mm. Sorry, that just sounds like <laughs> yeah. That sounds like an, an unbelievable headache. I wonder, kind of, how it feels on a personal level, uh, you know, beyond the legal complexities, that essentially no one nation, no one country is claiming you as one of her own. Um, I'd say it depends on the day you ask me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So in general, I have to say that, especially as a younger child, I was not too upset about the fact that I don't have a nationality. Um, Also because I don't, I'm just as a person, I don't really identify with the country as such. I often get asked whether I feel German and I often respond that I don't, which okay, to some extent has to do with the fact that I have been rejected on a regular basis by the government. But then again, it also is, it's just that I appreciate the German culture and I appreciate everything that I learned here. I've lived here forever, so why not? But then again, I just don't have this national identity. Uh, So, and this just also, like as a child, it's also meant to me that it's totally okay for me to not be part of a country but what is not okay to me is that it then limits my access to basic human rights 
Um, because for me to be able to access those rights or to enjoy those rights, it should be enough for me to be a human, but apparently it's not. So what happens is that, of course, it feels extremely... So it's often there's this mixture of disappointment, I guess, also. And anger, actually, not not too much, but then in some like individual instances, for example, the Morocco case was definitely in a situation which I felt a lot of anger because um, I was confronted with the fact that I'm just simply not provided with the means that will allow me to, to at least deal with the situation. But I'd say the main sentiment is actually disappointment because as soon as I realized that there are so many people who are affected, it became very clear to me that this is just a topic that is ignored. Because before that, I felt that we were probably the only ones. I, I guess I thought that there were maybe like 10 stateless people on this world because I felt like if, if there would be more, people would at some point actually solve those issues. Now, understanding there are millions of people who are affected and a lack of political will, maybe in some cases, and maybe it's not so much the political will, but also like resources or the necessary knowledge to solve the issue um, is disappointing to some extent. Mm. Do you want to feel associated with um, a nation? I'm, I'm trying to think about, because the nation state is still kind of very much the organizing principle yeah. of, you know, our identities, our political discourse, our, you know, kind of everything. I mean, it's it's from the 19th century, but we're holding on to it. Yes. At the moment, uh, in fact, we're holding on to it more and more. It seems, you know, there was a, there was a period there where we might have been a bit more transnational. That doesn't feel like the, it's the case now. Um, so, is this, you know, is this something that you that you want to be a part of, or do you want some kind of non-national, transnational identity for yourself to be recognized? If that makes sense. Just this. Such a hard question because it's so hypothetical. Because currently <laughs> I do have a non-national status, which mm. is recognized in a sense, but it doesn't allow me to live life the way I want to live it. Um, I guess actually that I would com I would be completely fine with it um, if it wouldn't pose any issues for me. I know that at some point, as soon as it's possible, I will definitely try to get the German citizenship because I know that it's the most reasonable thing to do also to protect myself and best case also my sisters. So I know that it's the right thing to do, but in the past I had way more, I'd say romantic feelings about it because I, I, I you always like, there's often this reference to like the pursuit of a nationality and it was kind of similar to me. I felt that like, at, to some extent, at least, I have to admit that I, I think that a lot of the things I was doing were also to some extent to prove my worthiness and value and validate the fact that I am living in this country um, and then at some point would be worthy to actually attain the German nationality. And this is, at least out of my opinion, like out of my perspective right now, such a unhealthy narrative. and. This is why I currently don't like becoming a German national to me would at some point just like they owe me. <laughs> That's how I feel right now. <laughs> like, why not? Right. So it's not so much anymore that I've, I'm begging for it. And I used to definitely, 
Um, I really did. And I think a lot of people are feeling this way. And when talking to other status people, I noticed that all of us have internalized this feeling of maybe not being worthy enough to be allowed to stay in the country, to be allowed to live free in the country the same way other people do. But the thing is, we are human beings and every one of us is worthy of this. And uh, we have just been unfortunate by others have been fortunate, right? So none of us actually did anything for being born wherever they are born and being born in the situation we are born. So um, we're just in a very unfortunate situation. And that's why for me, this question is, it's so hard because I think the just like the honest, most honest way for me to respond to that question is that I just don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. I don't feel like I'm missing being associated with the country right now. Um, but my perspective might change in a few years, of course. Mm. That's really interesting. And I think that's where your experience it does actually sound very similar to other migration experiences. Yeah. I, I talked recently, oh, a couple months ago on the podcast, with Dina Nayiri, uh, who's Iranian-American, and mm. she wrote this book called The Ungrateful Refugee, and she talks about how gratitude is kind of this, <laughs> this show that migrants are asked to put on for the native-born. And obviously, uh, race is, is built into that as mm -hmm. well, right? Where yeah. you're the outsider that should be grateful to be to be let in. I, I wonder how you how you think about about how those things interplay. Right now, I'm thinking I definitely need to read that book. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, for sure, for sure. It's it's very good. I'll send you the episode as well. Yeah, she's she's brilliant. <laughs> Sounds great. So. It's so hard to distinguish at this point for me. I often reflect on whether or not what I'm thinking and feeling is really what I'm thinking and feeling, or is it something that I have like learned to think because I felt like this is the way in which I would be accepted in the environment I'm in. So for example, this thing like gratitude, I am actually a person that is extremely grateful to a lot of like small things. Um, it doesn't need much actually to make me happy. So I do feel like this is something that's just very much core to my to my character. But then again, this gratefulness in terms of gratitude in 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 terms of being able to be here in Germany. At this point, I understand that I don't need to be grateful to Germany as a country, but actually to my parents that they were able to bear all of this. Uh, up until a point in which I am a adult that is able to take care of my own life uh, because the struggle was real and tough. And that's when, like, at some point my, my perspective changed because I used to be very grateful to Germany. And I guess that's also what my parents maybe wanted because they never said that, like, they never tapped themselves actually on the back <laughs> for what they have done. And I just also went into that direction but at some point I noticed it's not Germany that allowed me to stay here but it was my parents that actually fought for me to stay here and be here and of course it is a combination of both and um, despite being stateless there are other laws that apparently allows it like a person to of like me to be here at this age and this point in time but I think it's very important to break critical to some extent at least uh, and make sure because you just at some point you just tie your self-worth and everything you are doing actually for yourself to a system 
that is way bigger than you. And that kind of strengthens this narrative of powerlessness, uh, which is something that status people, if it's something I can generalize in that sense, I guess, so often um, feel. Mm. Thank you so much. This feels like a good place to uh, stop and allow listeners to to reflect on. What what can the rest of us do to to help? And kind of what are the, the policy objectives of, mm. I don't even know if we can say the stateless community, because I don't know how organized it yeah. is, because it's good. so, yes. you know, worldwide and, and spread out and, and, and varied. Very good question. I'd say we are in the process of establishing an, a so-called community. Um, so since I started reaching out to different organizations and so forth, I was actually pretty frank also about my confusion in terms of not knowing that there are organizations that are advocating for my rights, although I'm stateless. And there is a very <laughs> low rate of representation of stateless people in those areas. So this is something that the organizations have become more and more aware of. And so you mean you mean it's it's non-stateless people in organizations advocating yes. for for stateless people. So a bit of a savior situation happening yes. there. Yes. Yeah, ex extremely. <laughs> um, <laughs> because like the first time I reached out to the to one of the organizations, I thought that reaching out to them would mean that I would directly meet a lot of stateless people. Um, but that didn't happen. And that is mm. because they are also still in this process of actually understanding that there is a power imbalance that they are somehow supporting by not having people um, at the core of their work that are affected by statelessness. But that is definitely changing in, in a lot of organizations. And that's why I'm saying that I think we're in the process of establishing this community. And also with State Free, we are trying to actually build a space that allows for this organization and community building because it's a digital space that should be hopefully very barrier-free to people global so that everyone can access it and actually get in contact with other status people and so what would be like what do we want <laughs> what kind of policy remarks and um, it depends unfortunately it's, it's so hard because it really depends on the country you live in there are a few themes and patterns that just appear um everywhere and that's uh, for one like the lacking inclusion in terms of um whenever there are certain things to find there are governments that think about how migrants might be affected by it but there are not so many governments that think about how stateless people might be affected by that also strengthening the expertise on the difference between migration and statelessness and understanding the needs of stateless persons in specific then Freedom of movement is something that affects almost everyone. Being allowed to travel, regardless of whether or not you have a nationality. And um, that's something um, that should be allowed. And then also what I mentioned before that, and it's very technical, but it unfortunately extremely important statelessness determination process, because how would you solve a problem without even identifying it? And if we still are stuck at this point of understanding that statelessness exists, there are governments that actually just, they just say that there is no status in their country, although people know that there are status people in their country. So um, before we, like, if we don't even recognize the fact that we are in this reality, there is no way for us to solve it. So those would be some of the main points. And I guess as an individual who's not affected by statelessness, really 
helping to share stories and make people in your surrounding aware of it is a very important factor because one thing that is really really hindering the process is just the fact that people don't know about it status people are not able to vote so they have no influence on the system that impacts them if people who are able to vote at least know that there is this issue they can support by just maybe voting parties that support a a policy that improves the situation and so forth so just being aware and actually sharing the stories making um, people in your surrounding aware that's something that's very helpful are there any ways that listeners can help, can support State Free? What stage are you at in, in the development there? Yeah, we're, so development is a very good point. <laughs> we are uh, exactly at the development stage. So we're in the testing phase currently and hope to be able to launch this fall um, or it's almost winter already, so winter. But before the end of the year, in case you know any person that either works in the area or maybe is affected themselves, a person that maybe also works on human rights issues, it would be very helpful to share um, our website with them. And we are very much trying to also get in contact with different organizations. That's what we've been doing so far, just building partnerships and collaborations because statelessness is a human rights issue and also other people um, in that sector, even if they focus on other things, and need to be aware of the fact that statelessness exists. And if you are maybe a person that even is at the intersection of the topic in terms of a lawyer or so, educate yourself on the topic also to be able to support people in that situation. What's the website? Statefree.world. Statefree.world. That's an excellent extension. <laughs> uh, we'll make sure to have all that information in the show notes and on the website. Thank you so much, Christiana, for all this information and for sharing your story and yeah fingers crossed things get a bit easier for you and, and much success to, to state free thanks a lot for having me i really enjoyed the conversation statefree.world is where you can find out more and register your interest if you're a stateless person yourself or an ally ngo immigration lawyer journalist and all you fine people listening to borderline thank you to christiana bukala for educating us on this topic You'll find in the show notes links to the episode that I mentioned to Christiana in our conversation with Dina Nayiri, author of The Ungrateful Refugee. There are a couple more episodes worth listening to as well that I think connect to this conversation. If you haven't yet, they reveal other sides of this coin, if there is such a thing as a four-sided coin. We have Selda Shamlu talking about passport privilege and just a couple weeks ago, Chanjuli Wong on growing up undocumented. These four women shared some really vital information and moving stories about the people who fall in the cracks when we connect human rights and freedom of movement with national status. It's all in the show notes and at borderlinepod.com. Thanks as always for listening and please remember to share, like, leave five stars and a review. I'm your host, Isabel Hogal. Music is by Offshane. Borderline is a one-lane bridge production and I'll talk to you soon.